Thank you, Barry. Awesome job. I want to welcome you if you are a guest today. I'm looking around, seeing a lot of people who are back with us. That's, that's marvelous as we strive to get back to a little more normalcy. When I was growing up, I uh, sat under two preachers. Um, one preacher was at my church for the first half of my life, uh, growing up at this particular church, the other the second. Uh, both of them were, were somewhat eccentric. Uh, one was named Noel and the other was named Joe. And I don't remember a lot about what they preached, but I do remember one sermon that Brother Joe Hangline preached. Uh, Brother Joe preached uh, one Sunday night, I, I remember what he preached on because it's forever attached to this, uh, to this memory, to this event that had an impact on my life. Now, my little church growing up, we didn't have a lot of people. Uh, there weren't a lot of responses. When I think of Brother Joe, in my mind, he was a slight man, small man, carried a very big Bible, and he was a cross between um, Ross Perot, that's what his voice sounded like, but he looked, in my mind, like Marty Fife. And so uh, I'll never forget that Sunday night when he uh, stood behind the pulpit and he opened his Bible and he turned to his notes and he began preaching. And that night he preached with more vigor than usual. He had a little more energy. I don't know if he'd had conversation with our family, if he knew what was going to transpire or not. But it seemed like he was more energetic and he comes to the end of his message and my mother responds. We never had responses, but that night she walked forward. I remember what his topic was. His topic was on baptism. She came forward. They had some private conversations on the front row. He stands, turns to the crowd, and he says that my mother, Laura, was going to be baptized that night. And I remember how powerful and emotional it was. And here I am, a little kid, and I get to witness my mother experiencing the new birth. Now that they went into the baptistry and Joe lowered her down into the water and raised her up. Every sin is washed away. She receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, more than likely, most of us, or maybe all of us in this room, would say that baptism is an important topic. It's a significant topic. I always like to say it's significant because it's close to the cross. And anything that's close to the cross is really important. But did you realize there's another topic that's mentioned more in your Bibles than baptism? And you've probably heard few sermons on this topic. And what I want to talk about for a moment or two today is fasting. Fasting is this biblical subject, and I was talking to my wife Jana earlier, and, and I said, I can't remember the last time I've ever preached on, on fasting. In fact, I don't know if I've ever preached on fasting. She said, oh yes, you've preached long enough, you've talked about every topic probably, you have talked about fasting, but I don't remember it. But when's the last time you heard a sermon on fasting? Now we're in this series that we're calling Prayer. And it's really an acrostic that stands for pray regularly and you'll experience revival. We're talking about prayer and, and revival. And last week, Wilson talked about these rhythms of revival. He, he looked at these, these uh, practices that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, they're going to be apparent in our lives. They're, they're based on Matthew chapter 6. 
we talked about generosity and prayer, and he mentioned fasting. These are ongoing rhythms. But today I want to drill down on just one of those. I want us to look more closely at, at fasting and look at the connection between prayer and fasting. This past week I was looking at a book that's one of my favorites by one of my favorite authors on spiritual disciplines. And as I was looking through the table of contents and then rereading some of the words out of various chapters, I noticed in this book on spiritual disciplines, there's not a single word mentioned about fasting. Now, several years ago when I bought the book and read it, that didn't strike me as odd. But it strikes me as odd now. How can you spend all that time writing about spiritual disciplines and not at least mention fasting? We mentioned last week how that Jesus, when he talks about these various rhythms, he assumes that you will be generous. When you give, he says, he assumes you will pray. When you pray, not if. And he also assumes we'll fast. He says, when you fast. Just like we assume Christ's followers will be generous and we assume that prayer will be a part of our lives, we should also assume that we will from time to time fast. And so we're going to look in just a moment at those verses that were read um, by Jeff out of Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is the great fasting chapter. Just like 1 Corinthians 13 is the great love chapter, Isaiah 58, there's more material in that chapter on fasting than any place in your Bible. But before we get there, I want to spend just a moment or two building the case as to why we should fast. You might be sitting there thinking, I'm not so sure this is something that we ought to do today. Maybe we see it, you know, in the Old Testament. Maybe they did it some there, but I'm not sure we as as Followers of Jesus should fast. So if fasting is such an important thing, you would assume that there would be a lot of leaders in the Bible who would spend time fasting. So let me just run down a list of people in your Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, who spent time fasting. Did you realize that Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights when he went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments? We find that in Exodus chapter 34. King David fasted and prayed while his son was dying. That's found in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 16. King Jehoshaphat declared a fast so that they might be victorious over their enemies in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And again, not only did he declare this fast, but he prayed. We find all through Scripture this linkage between fasting and prayer. The prophet Joel called for a fast to avert the judgment of God. Joel chapter 1 and verse 14. Queen Esther declared a fast for all the Jews prior to her risking her life by approaching and speaking to King Xerxes uninvited. That's Esther chapter 4. And then we come to our New Testament. And I'm just going to mention two or three. We, we read about Anna, this, this godly prophetess, as she's longing for and looking for the Messiah, and she's in the temple. And what is she doing? What is she doing while she's waiting? Well, Luke chapter 2 tells us that she is praying and she is fasting. Jesus himself fasted for 40 days and 40 nights while he was in the desert being tempted by the devil. It's found in two places in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. 
the church fasted and prayed before sending Paul and Barnabas out as missionaries in Acts chapter 13. The church also fasted and prayed before appointing elders in Acts chapter 14. So here's the question. If fasting is such a big deal to God's people and God's Son, why is it not a bigger deal to us? And there may be many reasons why in a lot of our lives fasting is not something that we spend much time thinking about or even practicing. But I would say the main reason is because as Americans, as, as wealthy people, lives in this wonderful country, we have this love affair with food. I mean, we love food. I, I will tell you, I love food. And the older I get, the more I love food, and that's a scary thing because my metabolism is slowing down the older I get. We love to eat, don't we? L food is something that's important to us. I mean, I, I will tell you, I love a good steak that's marinated in Worcestershire sauce with a little lemon pepper, cooked medium. I love crab legs and fried chicken. I love fresh from the garden tomatoes. I love ice cream, especially bluebell, you know, cookie dough. I mean, I love, I love food. I, I, I even love, I will tell you, I even love a salad. As long as it's set beside something I'm cooking on my grill. I mean, other than that, I, but I, I don't like it by itself. But we love food, and so we think, why in the world would we go without? Why in the world would we abstain? If food is a gift from God, and it is, can I get an amen? Then why would we say no to eating? There's some amazing blessings that come as we fast. Now, so far in this sermon, I have not defined for you what exactly fasting is. But here is my definition. Fasting is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. Notice, it's not just not eating. That's dieting. And a lot of folks do that when they want to lose weight. Fasting is something different. It's something more. It's, it's refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. And so we might be asking, what in the world does it do for us? How can it be a, a blessing? See, fasting is letting go of something in the physical realm to take hold of new things in the spiritual realm. Now, Dave Clayton recently has written just a little book on revival. Uh, and he talks about fasting in the book. And he mentions several blessings that come as God's people are involved in this practice. And so let me just mention them to you. Uh, one, for instance, is that fasting deepens our friendship with God. Now, last week we mentioned those three practices of generosity, prayer, and fasting, and we said that they come with a reward, a reward if done in secret. We're not to practice those things in an ostentatious kind of way. We're not to do them so other people look at us and say, wow, look how spiritual Kevin is. I mean, he is fasting. He's going without food. Look at that guy. We're not to do it that way. 
But if we pray and if we're generous and if we fast in private, the reward is ultimately God himself. It's not getting something from God, but it's drawing closer to God. And when I understand that, that it it deepens my friendship with God, then I come to understand it, it is an incredible blessing, not a burden. Another blessing that comes from fasting is that it increases my hunger for spiritual things. When I fast for a few hours, or maybe for a day or several days, I come to understand Jesus' words are true. Jesus once says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I come to understand that God himself is the great feast. Instead of eating, I get alone, and I pray, and I think about God, and I read his word And as I do, my hunger for God himself becomes even greater. There's something else about fasting, and that is it gives clarity to my prayers. You find this in Daniel chapter 10. And some of you have experienced this. Maybe you had a a big decision coming up. Uh, Maybe there's some issue that you were dealing with, and you wanted to sort of really focus on God and and, and seek the Lord. And so what did you do? You you set aside lunch. You said, I'm not going to eat at lunch. I'm going to get alone and be with, with God. And you got some sort of clarity in that intensified time of prayer. Understand, fasting is not about us somehow getting God's attention. We already have God's attention. No, fasting is about God getting all of our attention. It's that moment when we focus more deeply on God and his will. And one final blessing comes, and that is fasting fosters humility, which is needed for revival. Humility is a magnet for God as we draw closer to God and, and we see ourselves, and when we see ourselves more clearly, we see our sin more clearly, and as we see our sin more clearly, we're humbled. Prayer and fasting fosters this sense of humility. Only when we've been humbled by our sin do we become desperate for God, and when we become desperate for God, God can then bring true revival. That's why when you look at Scripture and you look even in history, And you see those moments when when God begins to work in a powerful way. It's most always linked with prayer and fasting. Now, I've worked hard up to this point in the sermon to try to convince you to do something that's kind of countercultural. Because, again, who wants to, you know, set aside food? Who, Who wants to abstain from that which is good and blesses our lives in so many ways? But there's one other thing I want you to see about fasting that's absolutely essential. If fasting is going to become more real to us and more powerful in our lives, then we're going to learn this in Isaiah chapter 58. And so God is speaking to Isaiah, as Jeff said a moment ago. And when God speaks to Isaiah, he says this in verses 1 and 2 in in Isaiah 58. He says, shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Now, let me, let me interpret this verse for you. What is he saying? He's saying, bring it. He's saying, 
I, I want you to tell the people with all that's in you about their sin. You, you raise it like a trumpet. Preach about their sin and rebellion. Preacher, don't hold back. And so we hear these two verses and we wonder, well, what was their sin? What was going on in Isaiah's day? What was God asking Isaiah to especially address? Uh, maybe it was some kind of sexual immorality. Uh, maybe they were committing murder. Maybe they were breaking most of the Ten Commandments. Maybe it was some sort of odd and exotic false teaching that was creeping in among God's people. Maybe that was it. Well, he tells them in the very next verse, and he says it's, it has to do with their religion. It has to do with their religious practice. In verse 2 he says, For day after day they seek me out. That's a good start, isn't it? That's what we should all want to do. We should want to seek God out. Day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right. They were fasting, and they were worshiping, and they were involved in some right practices, some good practices, and yet something was going wrong with them. In verse 3, the people say, why have we fasted? And you've not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves? And you have not noticed. The people are frustrated. God what we're doing doesn't seem to be working. Lord, you're not bringing revival and renewal to us. Some of us are fasting. Some of us are doing all these things that you've asked us to do. We've humbled ourselves before you, and yet you're not listening to our prayers. And we wonder why. And maybe some of us are wondering that right now. Some of us might say it doesn't seem like God is listening to us. And we wonder what's going on. And at the end of verse 3, we find out. You see, what was going on is that God's people were exploiting folks who worked for them, maybe working long hours, little prayer, uh, little pay. Uh, they were, after they were engaged in these practices, they weren't more loving and more harmonious toward one another. They were fighting with one another. There was violence. Here's the mistake they were making, and here's the mistake that if we're not careful, we can make as well. You see, they wanted a vertical experience with God without a horizontal concern for others. They wanted, to God, they wanted God to do something for them while they did nothing for others. They wanted heaven to visit them while they ignored real, tangible needs on earth. Over and over again in Scripture, we see that the vertical is connected with the horizontal. Over and over again, the people of God are confused. They, they think if we can just sort of come in and, and be involved in a religious experience and do a few things and then go about our own lives as if nothing happened, then God's going to be okay with that. And so we see this even in the New Testament. John puts it like this in 1 John. He writes, if we say we love God, that's, that's the vertical, but hate our brother, that is, ignore 
our brother, are indifferent to our brother's needs. That's the horizontal. Then he says the love of the Father is not in them. At the end of the day, as we think about fasting, it needs to become eminently practical. Uh, it must make a difference in, in how we see others and how we respond to others. If it's not making tangible, a tangible difference in the lives of people, then let me just say that is not the kind of fasting that God desires. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what the Lord says in verses 6 through 9. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Well, well, I'm interested. Now, I want to know, what is that fasting like? Well, here's what it looks like. To loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, he says, then your light will break forth like the dawn. That's what we want, right? We want our light, the, righteous, the righteousness of Jesus, to shine forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then, he says, your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I love that verse. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am, or here am I. Revival begins as we humbly submit to God, but revival continues as we seek to bless others. Do you want God to answer your prayers? I mean, all of us would say, yes, we do. We all, we'd raise our hands. Yes, I want God to answer my prayers. Then you be his answer to someone else's prayers. Do you want God to say to you, here I am? If you do, then you get close to someone else. You, you find out some need that you can meet, and you show up, and you say, here I am. True revival, and that's what we've been talking about in this message series, it's not some personal, private thing that kind of begins with me and ends with me. It begins with God. It's by His grace, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, water, that, in that vision for revival, water flows under the threshold of the temple. It is by God's grace. It begins with God. It flows to us, but it doesn't stop it with us. It then impacts others it flows out to others for revival and renewal to be real i'll refuse to close my eyes to my hurting brothers and sisters i will seek to make a tangible difference and so what do you do with a sermon like this here's our challenge for this week here's what i want you to do i want you to find time this week to get alone with god and to, and to fast. Let's not make it more complex, more complicated than it really needs to be. Set aside food for the day or maybe for a meal or two meals or three meals. You make the choice. Now, if you're diabetic, uh, if you struggle with ill health, 
uh, don't do this or at least seek your doctor and talk with him before you do this. But if you're a, a healthy person, then you take a meal and you say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to eat on, you know, for my lunch meal. And I'm going to get alone with God, and I'm going to open his word, I'm going to read scripture, and I'm going to be silent before God, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask one specific thing. And here's what I want you to ask. I want you to say, Lord, open my eyes to someone's need that's around me. If you get quiet and still before God and you ask him to do that, God will answer that prayer. I'm telling you, he will. And when you see what that need is, you strive to meet that need. It might involve you giving some money. It might mean you're making a phone call. It might mean you're going to write a note of encouragement. I don't know what the need is. I don't know what the Lord will ask you to do. But you get alone, you pray, and you fast. And you watch for God to open that need before your eyes. It might just involve you. It might mean you getting with three or four other people to get together to meet this need. I'm not sure what it is. But can you imagine what's going to happen this next week if all of us, took this seriously and we said i'm going to get alone before god i'm going to set aside food boy and you you want you starting to think about food and you want to eat but you're thinking no i love god i it's more i i love god's word and i'm going to read feast on god himself and then god makes it plain to you that need and this week you take a step to meet that need brothers and sisters that's when revival will begin for you, and it'll begin for all of us. Today, if you're here and you're a guest, or, or if you're not a guest, you're just here and you've never responded to Jesus, you've never, you've never opened your life to him, maybe you've, you've never repented of your sins, you've tried to live life your own way, today may be the day for you to turn away from that old life and turn to Jesus and be baptized in Jesus' name. Or if you have some other need we can help you with, we'd love to help you. Come as we stand and as we sing.